A couple of things happened this week, and one of them that we're going to hear about next week, but I didn't want to not mention it, so uh, Nikki Benting will be with us next week, just to tell us something of the library and the, uh, the reading ministry that's going on and what, what we've seen Jesus do through his people um, and, and the amazing fruit of that. So we're going to get to that, come back next week for a real highlight as, as we listen to that. So uh, it's really great to be with you to honor and celebrate uh, the events of Pentecost. And today we start a new series. Funny enough, it's called The Power of Ministry. It's part of a larger series that we tried to start back. Well, we did start in January last year. Then we had a few events that kind of disrupted where we were planning to go. And so we got through until about the end of April. And then we realized we actually had to kind of address some of the stuff. But it just seems right almost like the pause of a whole year, Pentecost to Pentecost, that, uh, that we're picking up this new series and it's called The Power of Ministry. It's part of what we did under Walk As Jesus Did. Uh, the original series is available online if you need to go there. You see, we discovered Jesus is not only the God we worship, he absolutely is, and the Lord we need to obey, he absolutely is. He is also the example of how God intends us to live. He is a man who's, uh, he alone is the man whose identity is God. He alone died for our sins as we examined during Easter. But we must not extend his uniqueness to things that the Bible says is transferable. And one of the things the Bible is very clear on is he lived as a pioneer of the kind of life that your heavenly father wants you to live and me to live. So we began looking at that and we looked at the fruit of love and the rhythms of Jesus's life, how love and those things uh, related to that. And, and today we want to pick up and discover the ways in which the power of his ministry is something he intends to impart to us. Think for a moment about ministry. very hard to do that, isn't it? You're waiting for me to tell you about minutes. Think for a moment about minute. When have you felt the grace of God touching your life? Maybe even this morning. Maybe through some of those testimonies. Maybe through some of those songs. Think about mercy coming. Think about prayers answered, justice and healing Think about being set free, delivered. Think about teaching, reaching, caring, feeding, rescuing, redeeming. These are beautiful things. This is ministry. But there's a power that is needed for that ministry to be effective. These are exactly the beautiful things that are at stake, that Jesus wants to reproduce in us so that he can love the world through us. And so it's a really good time to be starting this at Pentecost, which draws on, and Pentecost got multiple images that, that sort of like help us understand it, drawn from the Old Testament and then landing in the New Testament and then transferable to our lives. So, for example, let me give you one or two before we pick our main one. In all of creation, in the acts of creation, as we see in Genesis chapter 1, God simply speaks and creates things. So he says, let there be light, let there be land, let there be water, let there be animals, let there be trees, let there be, and every time, let there be, and there was. But notice this, God didn't say, let there be people. He said, let us make. 
And God took that which was part of creation and then he formed and shaped that into what he felt would be his image. And then in coming close, he kissed the breath of life into the man, into the woman. And so the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living human being. He came alive, animated and empowered and enabled to live as he was created, intended. So when Jesus comes to earth, he begins to call followers to him. They are already among the people of the earth. He's not inventing a new person. He's taking that which was already there. And he begins to form this community. And he makes people. But as, as it were, he's got the body together. But there is a day that's going to come when he's going to come close to this new body of Christ. And he is going to breathe with a kiss of life. His holy breath, his ruach, his pneuma, his spirit, and he's going to make her live. Picture of Pentecost. Another picture of Pentecost. In Genesis chapter 11, there's the narrative of the Tower of Babel where people, uh, where God had to scatter people who were building uh, things for their own power. And he divided them because by their languages and other, th- other loyalties. Why? Because God explains they have a collective power to cause harm. Made in his image, they have a tremendous power for good, but they have a collective power for harm. And so God scatters humanity by mixing up their languages. Come Pentecost, God reunites the people he scattered, and he does it by prophetically using languages that once broke down into tribal and national divisions, and he restores to himself a people that he wants to empower to do good. He wants to empower them to do ministry. Does that make sense? So those are some of the pictures, and there's, there's many, many more, actually all wrapped up in this amazing event uh, that we read about in Acts chapter uh, 2, especially, and its consequences going forward. But I want us to look this morning at another metaphor that describes Pentecost, this coming of the gift of Holy Spirit that Abba Father has promised. And, then, and so my sermon title this morning is The Succession Plan, The Succession Plan. And we're going to look at the prototype, we're going to look at... Uh, it's New Testament fulfillment, as it were, and, uh, and then its implications. So the prototype. The Bible tells us about a remarkable man who healed the sick and raised the dead. At his word, the weather changed. Water became a thoroughfare. Food multiplied. Kings trembled at him, and yet they plotted to kill him. Who am I talking about? Sorry? No. Elijah. Come on, people. You need the list again. Healed the sick, raised the dead. That his word, the weather changed. Water became a thoroughfare. Food multiplied. Kings trembled and they plotted to kill him. Now we think Jesus is unique and yes, someone in the Old Testament is doing the business. Now through his ministry, foreigners experienced God's love and power. Widows were cared for and children, their children were provided for. 
And so there's this mercy and justice narrative. There's this inclusion of foreigners. And it's all happening in this remarkable character called Elijah. And of course, who else? No, his disciple Elisha. Elisha was his follower. And when you're the follower and the teacher teaches you properly, you do what the teacher does. Okay, now you guys, I mean, you're a bit slow this morning. I know I was leading you on. Okay, you know, normally in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. I know that. But very importantly, this thing of the handover from Elijah to Elisha. Um, so Elisha by now has been Elijah's protege for several years. So back in First Kings, Elijah, after a rather nasty episode in his life, gets told to take some help on board. And so he goes and he finds Elijah and Elisha and Elisha starts following Elijah. And then several years later, we come to a remarkable day in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, where all the prophets of the time discerned that Elijah would no longer be on the earth by the end of that day. Must be really nice to know. Like there were prophets at Bethel, there were prophets at Gilgal, there were prophets at Jericho, there were prophets near the Jordan River, and all of them, all these schools of prophets or companies of prophets, they've all discerned the same message. So like this unanimous witness, and everyone's going to Elisha and saying to him, listen, do you know that your master is going to be taken from you today? Now, they don't even know how it's going to happen. You know, is a bear going to come out of the, the jungle? Is, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Let's read 2 Kings 2 verse 7. Fifty men from the school of the prophets or the company of the prophets uh, went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. They had been tra- doing a lot of walking that day, by the way. And then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. Then the water divided to the right and to the left, and two of the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, now notice they've crossed. They've been together in all the space where everybody else is. And they crossed to a space where literally it's the two of them. What can I do for you before I am taken from you? They still don't know how. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha said. You've asked a difficult thing. Elijah replied, Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment. I'm not going to enact this prophetically. And he tore it in two. 
And Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan and he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it and said, Where now is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. And the company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Now, it's important not to misunderstand what is going on. Misunderstandings can have very strange outcomes, as I saw last weekend. You see, a group of us went cycling in the Overberg, and we reached the hamlet of Malchas, like mad gas. And that was on the Breda River. And on the Saturday afternoon, a cold front passed over us, but we were safely and snugly asleep at midnight uh, in a lovely riverside bungalow. Except at about two in the morning, John O'Miller, who was sleeping in the lounge, heard this loud and unnerving wailing penetrating his subconscious. And so undeterred, Jono got up, quietly opened the kitchen door and slipped out into the cold night. And he realized that the music is coming from an inconsiderate resident about 200 meters away, playing it so loud that at that time of the night it's waking you up. So Jono left the kitchen door open, walks 200 meters up the road and confronts our inconsiderate neighbor. Now remember, we're talking about misunderstandings. It may help to tell you that Jono at this stage is bravely dressed only in his jocks. And so for unknown, some unknown reason, arriving dressed for the occasion, he is remarkably successful in his mission of uh, chiding the neighbor who immediately addresses his concern and turns the music down and hence the episode is over. Or so we thought. But remember, we're talking about misunderstandings. So Jono starts the 200-meter walk back to the safety of his bed. But back at our bungalow, the wife of another married couple has heard an unearthly wailing and also feels suddenly that the air temperature inside the house is dropping disconcertingly. So she gets up, Tammy gets up and proceeds to the common area to find the kitchen door open. Now she's very worried. Suddenly the wailing stops. All is quiet. So she locks the kitchen door and goes back to her room to wake up her husband, Simon, who's a particularly deep sleeper, a brave man, but a very deep sleeper. And she rouses him from his slumber and demands that he checks on all our bikes because she is convinced that there's an intruder trying to steal our bikes from the veranda. Simon, Simon, wake up. Someone's trying to steal our bikes. Remember, I'm talking about misunderstandings. Simon, as he's known to do, rapidly gets up before he wakes up. And so he stumbles out into the living area just as one of the outside security lights come on. Now they're convinced something has happened. But the something that's happened, remember we're talking about misunderstandings. Jono has returned from his brave mission up the hill only to find the kitchen door closed and locked and him dressed suitably for the occasion. And so now he is circling the house to see if he can find a way back into bed, trying to work out in which of the dark rooms, because no one's turning on a light, 
contains the person who probably woke up and locked the door. Remember, we're talking about misunderstandings. Soon we have two significantly underdressed men walking around the outside of the house in a clockwise direction. The first not knowing about the other and the second not knowing the identity of the other. <laughs> Mercifully, <laughs> one of the security lights went on. And Tammy, as she kept watch from the inside to her amazement, saw that it was our Jono. We was prowling around the house and managed to defuse the situation before anyone got badly injured. So what's the misunderstanding we're talking about in the text? We often don't understand this idea of a double portion. What can I do for you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, it's an idiom, and it does not mean I want twice as much as you. You may have heard sermons like that. It doesn't mean that. It's, it's an idiom about heritage and about inheritance. Let me inherit. What is he asking? This is what would have been understood in the culture and the context of the time. I want to be your heir. I want to be your ministry successor. I want to carry forward your name, your mission, and your legacy. I want that which defines you to come and define me. I want the heart and the spirit that rests upon you to come and rest upon me. I want that spirit that empowered you to empower me. I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, in the historical context, the primary heir who, who got the double portion did get twice as much as the rest of the family. But it was entirely to ensure that that person would in fact carry out the duty of being the successor. So Elijah, Elisha is asking to be Elijah's successor, to carry forward his ministry and mission. By an impartation of the Spirit of the Lord that rests upon him, that clothes Elijah and empowers the teacher. And he's saying, I want that which empowers you to come and rest upon and empower me. I want that which animates you and gives your ministry its focus and its content to come and be mine. Which is what happens. Elijah, Elisha stays with his master until he is, Elijah is carried up to heaven. And he tears his old garment. It's grief and loss. He knows he will not see him again. But he's also letting go of that which has clothed him up until now. He gets rid of that which marked him as Elisha. And he picks up his master's cloak, that which marks him as the disciple of Elijah. And it's a deeply symbolic act of impartation. He is now clothed with that which clothed his master. From a distance, anyone could see that what he now carried was that which was carried by his teacher. And he walks up to the Jordan and he wants to know one thing. Where is Yahweh? The God 
of Elijah. And so he wraps up the cloak just like he'd seen his master do a few maybe moments before. And he knows Elijah is gone, but Elijah's God is about to break in and change his life. His ministry will never be the same. And he smacks that water and the Jordan River scampers away to the right and to the left. What did the prophetic people know? The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. I don't know if making a river go scampering is resting, but nevertheless, you get the picture of this impartation and, and what's on him becomes on Elisha and the consequences of his ministry. The succession plan is happening. The disciple is doing what his master did. The prototype. Point number one. Point number two goes a bit quicker now. The fulfillment. Theologian and scholar Craig Keener says that the bridge from Luke's gospel to the book of Acts is a succession narrative precisely in this tradition of Elijah to Elisha. And if you have to think about it, there's the ascension. There's the, the clouds and the chariot. You, you know, there's all that excitement. And there is the eyewitnesses. Jesus says you're the eyewitnesses of these things. Like Elijah, the resurrected Jesus does not enter heaven through death. He is taken up alive, triumphant before the eyes of his disciples. And some of his final parting words in Luke's gospel in Luke 24, I am going to send you what my father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Another, another massive parallel. And this is emphatically Im repeated in Acts chapter 1. You thought I was going to preach this whole thing from the Old Testament. I'm glad to disappoint you. Acts chapter 1, on one occasion, verse 4, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift that my father, my Abba, has promised, which you heard you speak about. John initiated with water or baptized with water. In few days, you'll be initiated with and into the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked, Lord, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates uh, the Father has set by his own authority. That's not an authority that's yours. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. See the parallels? Like Elijah, which clothed Jesus, the power of the Spirit now comes and must come to rest on the followers of Jesus. Like Elijah, um, the disciples must not rely on the old garments of their own power. They must be clothed with the grace and the love and the power and the spirit that made Jesus, enabled Jesus to do what he did. So Jesus says, don't lose focus, don't wander away. It's, it's almost ditto, ditto, you know, Elisha, if you're watching, if you see me, Jesus says, stay, don't leave, wait. I will baptize you and immerse you into the Holy Spirit. 
You will be clothed with power. You will receive power. Those are all words Jesus uses in, in this transition from Luke to Acts. You collectively will be my successors and heirs, and my authority, my power, and my ministry will become yours. This is the Pentecostal succession plan. Point number two. Point number three, the implications. For Elisha, <laughs> as you read his life, you, you, you can't, and you'd have to go back to two kings, and we're not going to do that. But his life becomes a demonstration of the truth that Elijah's God is with him. He too, Elisha, heals the sick, raises the dead. At his words, the weather changed. The water becomes a thoroughfare. Food multiplies. Kings tremble. Powers and authority are thrown into fear and they oppose him. Through his ministry, foreigners experience God's love and welcome and power and widows are cared for and their children are saved from death. Sounds like the kingdom, doesn't it? Now, if that kind of impartation was possible in the Old Testament, hello, we have one which is of a greater glory in the New Testament. And Luke reconstructs the whole succession narrative so that we can know what the implications are. The first is theological and then practical. Firstly, theological. In our tradition evangelicalism, etc. We rightly emphasize that the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not going to point you to any other God. And, and no one who has the Spirit of Jesus can say, for example, Jesus is not Lord or Jesus be cursed or anything like that. The Spirit of Jesus just honors Jesus, points to Jesus, loves Jesus, reminds us of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is Deeply, deeply, and we'll get to the words next week, so I won't go there. But he is so tight with Jesus, you can't believe it. And he introduces us to Jesus. When you're dealing with the spirit of the true living God, you will know that you're being drawn to Jesus Christ. Maybe as you heard the testimonies this morning, you yourself felt drawn to Jesus Christ. That's the ministry of the spirit. And he convicts us and convinces us of our need of Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus in order that we might be saved. The Holy Spirit then immerses and baptizes us, 1 Corinthians 12, into Jesus and his body. The Holy Spirit initiates us into Jesus. It's part of our salvation. Now, these ideas are evident in several places, including John 14 through 16, and some of the places where the Apostle Paul describes what the Holy Spirit does. What are we dealing with in our traditional theology? It's how God became man. We call it the incarnation and how salvation is made possible. And we point to how the Holy Spirit is biblically absolutely essential for that ministry and rightly so. However, we make the mistake of thinking that's all the Holy Spirit came to do. And we stop there and we shouldn't. Because as much as the Holy Spirit draws us to, brings us to, and introduces us to Jesus, so it is Jesus who draws us to, calls us to, and introduces us to this amazing Holy Spirit that made possible the life that he lived. You see, now we're not dealing with incarnation. We're dealing with impartation and anointing which is his second name. You'll call him Jesus. He will save his people. But another title he have is Hamashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. 
So one of his names points to his saving work and one of his points to his anointing ministry and you're never supposed to separate them. And theologically, we've got to come back to the understanding that we're not just dealing with incarnation and salvation. We are dealing with impartation and anointing and equipping for us to be like Jesus in our ministry. This is the power of ministry, according to the word of God. Does that make sense? So that's theologically. What's the practical? It opens wide almost every page of Jesus' life in which his example in doing ministry is our model. We fix our eyes on our trainer. The gift of God's word is given that we might discover not just what once happened, but what can happen. When I make myself his disciple and I fix my eyes on him and I make sure that the ministry that was upon him is the spirit that was upon him is also the spirit that is upon me. Because there's a big difference. The succession plan from Elijah to Elisha was one to one. But Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 and many others makes it extremely clear that the succession plan from Jesus is one to many, to every single one who will follow him. He wants that anointing to rest on you. He wants the world to see that the succession plan is working. What does he want to see? He wants to see. Maybe I can have the worship team come and join me and we can pick up on that Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I know you weren't expecting that, but sorry, let's just do it. You know, there were those prophets who at a distance saw Elijah smack the water. Jordan splits wide. And they cross over on dry ground and Elijah follows him. And then they see a little while later, they didn't see what else happened. They see a different figure carrying the same cloak. And he walks up to that same river and he's got to approach it from a different angle. But he smacks that water and he tells it, calls on Yahweh. And the river opens wide. And they say, the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of Elijah is resting, resting. Covering, resting on. How can they see the resting? Because they see the acting power. They know what he's carrying. He's carrying a new mantle. He's carrying a new authority. That is just one of the mind-blowing pictures of Pentecost. Of what Jesus invites you to do today. So won't you stand with me? All oh, that the prophetic might say, the spirit of Jesus is resting on Craig. Oh, the spirit of Jesus is resting on Bert. 
the Spirit of Jesus resting on Lindsay. The Spirit of Jesus is resting on Lucy. The Spirit of Jesus is resting on Adrian. And he is coming to you now to reproduce in kind. So won't you receive, won't you receive, won't you put your eyes on him and wait and receive and open up your heart and say, God, you've got me, you've got me, I am yours. I'm tearing off my old robes. I don't want to rely on my power. I don't want to rely on my own resources. I want to come under your mantle and your covering and your anointing. Just wait.